Good evening, everyone. <coughs> Can you all hear me all right? Thank you. Let's open in prayer tonight. Almighty Father God, Lord, thank you for your greatness and your mercy. Thank you for the privilege, Lord, of standing here tonight, of having the privilege of serving your word. The way that you opened it to me, Lord, that you revealed it to me through your scripture and through the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you will bless everyone with this word tonight. Lord, and that it will not be my words, but your words uttered through me. Lord, use me as a vessel in your hands, your capable hands, your loving hands. I pray this, Father, in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hey, tonight we're going to be radical, <clears throat> as you can see. So just before I start, as I said, God broke a opened and revealed the scriptures and this message to me and I, I really want to share it with you because I'm excited. I'm really excited because the way that I experienced God these couple of last couple of weeks since I started preparing the sermon was life-changing. It's definitely something else. And I just want to come and share some of it. Unfortunately, I cannot share everything with you because... We're going to be here till tomorrow morning. But uh, if you bear with me, I'm going to try and keep it short. So, <clears throat> if we look at church, churchgoers, what do we find? How many, how many typical types of churchgoers do you think we have? Just in general. Mm, okay, could be, but I've got five. Maybe I summarized Okay, so I think there's the traditional, traditional churchgoers, maybe like a weekend warrior, just eating church on a Sunday, an occasion. Then the religious, okay, religious doing a little bit more, attending church on a regular basis and also, you know, praying and reading scripture and, you know, learning. Then godly person. Godly person, not necessary, only the pastor. Doesn't have to be the pastor. Can be there. We'll see it just now. Then there's a fanatic. Person that seeks for self-gratification. And then, something that will surprise a lot of you. Satanists. They also attend church sermons. And they attended to cause disruption. Okay? And they might be watching as well. And to you, if you're watching, I want to say that God told me to talk about you tonight. Okay? I want to tell you that God loves you. And you're not excluded yet. There's still time. So I want to compare these, these churchgoers to something that makes more, that's more relevant to us. Maybe athletes. Can I compare them to athletes? So <clears throat> I don't know if you've done mountain biking or running, the occasional running. So you get the, the weekend warriors. Okay, they, they 
run on a Saturday, maybe on a Sunday, and they attempt little races. Then you get the more serious guys, they run during the week as well, and they train or they swim, whatever exercise or you know, discipline they might be doing. They're doing it during the week as well, and they're giving additional time to that. And then you get the guys who, who trains for ultras and double ultra marathons. Okay, they're a little bit more serious. They train like six days a week, extended hours, and they really go for it. And then there's the person that trains to win. He trains to win the race. So whatever the average guy is doing, is doing double. Whenever the average person doesn't train because it's raining or the weather is not like it, he trains. He needs to be in front. He needs to, to challenge. So I want to compare the godly person to that person. The godly person enters the race with his eye set to win on the race, to win the race. Now we're going to look at seven examples of this. And I'm going to let the fingers do the walking tonight, so I'm going to pace through the manufacturer's guideline. We're all issued with that when we're saved. We get this Bible, this wonderful Word of God. And this gives us everything we need to know to run this race and to live life. So if you don't have one, sit next to a Christian so they can help you. I'm joking. <clears throat> but yes, let's go and look at the first one, Noah. Genesis 6. Genesis 6 verse 8 to 15. But Noah found favor in the eyes of God, of the Lord. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. Okay. How did God, how did Noah find Favor in God's eyes. Surely there was lots of people on earth at that time. He must have done something different to the average people. Okay? He walked with God. And God told him to build this ark. And he could have spent up to about 120 years. If I look at different reasons, there is different periods of time that people interpret it to be, but it could be up to 120 years to build the ark. Okay, imagine yourself, Ivor built an ark right out here, nice big one, and people driving past here and walking past here, and they look at him and say, what do you do? And he's like, I'm building an ark. Why? No, because God told me to build an ark because he's going to destroy everyone. People would laugh at him. They'd say, cook, cook. You missed it. You're totally gone. Okay? So, Noah was radical in his time. He didn't care what these people said about him. He followed God. Okay, so let's look at the second character. Abraham, Genesis 22, 
We're going to read from 1 to 3. And then verse 8. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And then we can go to verse 8. You can read the rest. And Abraham said, so after Isaac is asking, questioning about where the lamb is, Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. So we all know this. But think about the situation. Abraham waited about 100 years for this promise to come through. It was like forever. And now, God tells him to go and sacrifice the son. Abraham prevailed because God promised him. And he believed God with his whole heart. Abraham saw the will of God that he had to sacrifice his son. But God's sovereign will is that he lives. And Abraham endures even though he doesn't understand at this time. He doesn't question God. But he believes God. And he trusts him fully. Even if he doesn't understand and it doesn't make sense to you. Will the average Christian do this? Nope. See, the essence of this is the true love of God. The delight to do God's will. Not always to understand it, but always to do it. Now, some of you would say, no, but... It's a little bit beyond that. It's beyond extreme. It's fanatic. But there's a difference. There's a difference between godliness and fanatism. Godliness is anxious to do God's will, whether others see it or not. But a fanatic strives to impress by being very extreme. And he wants others to see it. This is the difference. Okay, so let's go to the third person. I told you I'm going to try and be brief. Third person is Moses. Exodus 19. We're going to read verse 18 to 20. And as I read and we go through this, the picture will start to form. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. 
the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. I don't know about you, but if that happened to me, I would have trembled. I would have crunched, totally cringed, because this is, this is something else. But as we go down and we read further, what did the people do? They just saw this, they heard this, they were scared out of their minds. And we go to Exodus 32. And we can see there, as Moses delayed, because, let's read a little bit. When, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. I was like, what happened, guys? And he does it. And he does it. So, what does the average Christian do after witnessing a great work of God? They get tired. They lose focus. And what do they do? They go and make themselves a God that they can see. Smaller than me and everything, but I can see it and I can at least yeah, serve this God. But it was become because they came out of Egypt. And they were serving these gods there and they saw the... But yes, they weren't steadfast in God. And what does Aaron do? He's the priest. See what I said? The godly person is not necessarily only the priest. Can be the priest, but it's not only the priest. Can be anyone. So Aaron doesn't spend time in God's presence. We don't read it. But we read that Moses does. And Aaron gave in. And Moses came back. And what does he do? Let's read verse 32. While he's busy spending time with God and listening to God and fasting for 40 days and nights, he comes down and, or he speaks to God and says, But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. So radical Moses prayed. Prayed to God the Father to rather remove his name and to wipe their name. See, there's a difference. It's a difference. He, wants, he even puts himself in the gap. Let's go to Elijah. 
1 Kings 19. We're going to read from verse 8. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord. Jealous for the Lord. The God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And then we can skip to verse 12. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? You see, instantly, when he heard the voice, he recognized the voice. Why? He spent much time in his presence. He spent much time in God's presence and he knew his voice with his encounters, through his encounters with God. So we're going to jump to the New Testament. So we're going to go to Luke 10. We're going to look at the 72 that was sent out. Verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him. Two by two into every town and place where he himself, where he himself. Apologies for this. Was to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Now, listen to this. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. What does this mean? Isn't it similar? They're going to be sent out. He tells them, I'm going to send you out like lambs amongst wolves. That's havoc. They will be ridiculed. They will be thrown upon. They will be looked at and because what has he asked them to do? Carry no money bag? 
No knapsack. No provisions, in other words. No sandals. Strange, because they walked everywhere. And it was not common. It was not normal. You wore sandals. There was not nicely paved roads everywhere. And you couldn't just go out and expect other people to supply your needs. And also, they weren't allowed to greet anyone on the road. Now, it was custom in those days that people would talk on the road and they would actually communicate to each other. They would walk miles. So, already, this was strange. They would send out and people would look at them. And I'm sure if we look at someone that comes to your house, no shoes, no knapsack, no nothing, but he wants to come for dinner. Like, really? Well, who sent you? No. <clears throat> but when they went, when they were, they listened. They came back and they were perplexed at the miracles they performed. But then Jesus warned them, saying that having the their names written in the book of life, was more important than performing this miracle. But they could do it because they listened. They obeyed. Now we're going to go further in Luke 10 to verse 39. We're going to look at Mary and Martha. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve you alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord said to her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. You see what happened to Martha? She started concentrating so much on what her sister was doing wrong, she forgot about herself. Not a godly person. Average question. Because we're so easy to see the problem in others' lives, but forget about own. We'll see later on when a godly person, that's one of the one thing, first things, a godly person will always look at himself first. And who's the seventh person we're going to look at? Guess? Thank you. Of course, how can we preach without looking at Jesus? So we're going to go to Luke 2, verse 49 to 52. We're going to look at Jesus when he was young. He was busy doing the will of God. And when he was left alone, behind, and his parents found him, they found him in the temple. Doing what? Let's read verse 49. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? 
Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And did you not understand the saying? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Now, if we look at the tradition at that stage, a young Jewish boy had to memorize scripture. They had to be really good at it, especially if he wanted to be someone, especially if he wanted to serve or learn from a rabbi, because they only accepted the best, the best of the best. So Jesus was already living this life. We can see that he was already teaching at a very young age. He was already teaching. But Jesus didn't want to be a rabbi, a normal rabbi by the norm. No. And Jesus was despised because he wasn't a student of any well-known rabbi. And he became a rabbi that didn't choose students based on the norm, but quite on the contrary. What did he do? We'll see. First of all, Jesus came from Nazareth. And what did Nathaniel in John 1.46 say about Nazareth? Can any good come out of Nazareth? Okay, it wasn't a place where it was renowned and that good people would come from or well-learned people or scholars. And you see, why, why did these rabbis choose only the best? Because it gave them bragging rights. Because they gave them a little bit more stature. I have the best. And they could reason well and they could you know, teach people well out of the scripture. But Jesus came to fulfill the Heavenly Father's mission. And thus, he followed his teacher. And throughout the life of Jesus, we saw how many times Jesus went and prayed alone with God and to hear God's voice and to hear God's plan and what, to, what decisions to make and, and so on. And Jesus, what was also the rabbis of that time, they waited. They sat and waited for the students to approach them. And they came to them, and as the students come, they would look at them, talk to them, and they already knew, because of their encounters with these guys, whether they were good students or not. And they would reject them or not, based on how good they were. But Jesus... Jesus didn't wait for his disciples to come to him. No. Jesus went out and he found his disciples. And he called them. He said, follow me. I will teach you. I will make you fishers of men. 
And what did, this, what did the disciples do when they, once they were chosen? They dropped everything that they were busy with, the nets and everything. And they attached themselves to Jesus and they devoted their lives entirely to following Him. Isn't that similar to how we get saved? When Jesus calls us through His Spirit, in a sermon or in reading the Bible or listening to a sermon or someone telling us the gospel, that's Jesus calling us. We know He's calling us. And if He calls us, we say, yes, yes, Lord, yes, I want to follow you. Okay. Now, the question. Do you want to be like one of them? One of these extreme guys? These radical guys? Or do you just want to be an average Christian? Now, you're going to ask me, how do we become radicals like Okay, let's go to 1 Corinthians 9, 24. The, the manual gives us the answers. We must just search. We must just read and trust God. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 20, 24. Do you not know that in a race all runners run but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. You see, we've got to discipline our bodies. We've got to keep it under control. There's more. When, you, when you're running a race as a winner, you make sacrifices. If you want to train hard enough to win the race, you need to make the sacrifices that goes with it. You're not going to achieve it by just running along, enjoying the race. No. You need dedication. You need control. You know, focus. Now, are you serious about your relationship with God? Or are you just happy sailing along? You see, the world we live in today makes us believe that it's okay to be mediocre, to have low standards. Everything goes. Everyone finished the race. Anyone who finishes the race gets a medal. I don't know if anyone of you have entered a mountain biking race recently. Everyone that finishes gets the medal. Yes, it's not gold, but so what? It's a medal. It's just lowering the standards. Lowering the standards all the time. You see, if we run this race this way, it's not acceptable to God. It doesn't please God. If we want to please God, like these examples, 
We have to run like this athlete. That's why it's there. What does God say in His Word? Be holy because I'm holy. You want to serve me? Be holy. That's my standard. Nothing's sub. So if we look at Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2 that Joshua read for us in the beginning, we look at that and we say, we see that let us also lay aside every weight and sin, uh, and, and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We've got to get, let these things aside. Every penalty weight, Dr. you know, if we're uh, riding, you have five cages on your back, and uh, you gain a little bit of weight. It's not so easy to get up the hills anymore. It's not that easy to ride that fast anymore. Okay? Because of discipline. Lack of discipline here yeah, causes us pain and agony. And the same it is with running, swimming, anything. Any race that you enter, you've got to be disciplined. You've got to focus. So lay aside everything that will slow you down and cause you to lose the race. This godly man versus the average man. Godly man will run to win the race. The average man will be content to partake in the race. And just finish it. There's a difference. A godly person will know that he needs to be delivered. Not only from sin, but from anything that will be a hindrance to him. The average will see others and what they need to be delivered of. A godly man said, the Holy Spirit doesn't talk to a shallow man. The Holy Spirit doesn't talk to the self-righteous, the self-defenders, arguing people or flippant people. He talks to the sincere, the meek, the kind, the humbly, the lowly, poor in spirit person. We must run free from these impediments. Things like amusements. Now there's no fixed rules about this because we're all different from each other. So it will be different things in different lives. And that's where the personal relationship comes in with God. You must listen. You must pay attention. You must spend time in His presence. So that God can bring out and lay His finger on the things, the very things that's keeping you away from Him. From a deeper life with Him. From hearing His voice. From entering to that relationship. If you want to say that you don't have time to do this, then I want to say, take away the things that steals your time. Get rid of them. This is more important. 
Sometimes it could be friendships. Friendships that looks on the surface like a good thing. Because we all want to pull someone to Christ. And sometimes we enter into these relationships with people and we dearly want to pull them. And they, they're actually interested in that as well. But they want to run this race like the average person. So they're pulling you back and you're pulling them and they're pulling you back and you're, and you're losing time. And you're losing time. So how do you get rid of that? In a godly way. You tell them so much about God. And you pray so often. And when I ask you to do this or that, you sincerely ask them to pray with you. And spend time in prayer. And reading the Bible and doing Bible study. If they don't want to come to this side of the fence, they're definitely going to leave this relationship or this friendship. Because they realize that you're a little bit radical now. You know, praying, praying, praying. And you witnessed about it. I learned a lot from that man that you spoke about. And pray for everything. And be, be glad and rejoice in God. And rejoice in His Word and read His Word. And they'll either come this way or they'll be the average question. But it's not them that's losing out. It's you. You have the opportunity to enter into this. But if you hold on to that, it might cost you. Could be social habits. Be careful how you live. Do you have a rebellious heart? Sometimes it's the books that we read. Sometimes it's the things that we watch. Sometimes our general habits. The way that we make plans without praying about it first. Is it blessed or is it not blessed? Sometimes it's the way we conduct business. God laid his finger on this thing. I had to repent. The way we conduct business. God spoke to me. I had to make right. Because that's the things that keeps us from that relationship. It's much better to have less and have God than have much without God. What would you want? Rich them? Richness? Or God? Yeah, ideal would be both. Eh? That would be great. But sometimes they oppose each other. Guys, I plead with you. Get rid of it. Be, be serious about this. Get rid of those things. Cut it out. You're missing out on a wonderful relationship with God. A deeper life. A deeper walk with God. He's waiting. God is waiting. Isaiah 30 verse 18. Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. How long are you going to make God wait? 
God is waiting. Are you stalling? Why? Why? What is keeping you from that relationship? Is it really worthwhile? Do the ducks. Are you ready to be ridiculed by the recent day Christians? As a lover of Jesus Christ, a godly person, and entering into a wonderful relationship with the Lord. Let us pray. Almighty Father God, I thank you, Father, for this word. Yes, it was hard. It was hard on me as well, Lord, and I, I just stand amazed in your presence. And Lord, for the word that you've broken here. And I pray, Lord, that you will work with us during this week. Yes, Lord, through your Holy Spirit. And that you will help us to understand it, to take it to heart, and to, to be serious for ones about our Christianity, about serving you. Lord, I pray this humbly in your wonderful name.